All right, guys. Well, hey, this is the last session that I get to be with you guys at tonight. I head back to Minneapolis. I get to preach at Salt City tomorrow, so that's going to be super exciting. But, but guys, honestly, this has been like so much fun. Thanks for welcoming me in. Thanks for introducing yourself, just talking to me when I was wandering around looking like just awkward, like I didn't have anybody to talk to. Appreciate that, guys. But uh, guys, I, I, I want to encourage you. Like, I don't know what you guys think about like this. But you guys just need to know that, like, you're sitting in the midst of something, like, really exciting. Like, you're, you guys are, you're wrapped up in a story. You're just wrapped up in, in God's big story for the redemption of the world. And, and guys, I, I really believe that, you know, when it comes to Salt City Church and Salt Company here in Minneapolis, guys, that you guys, the best is, is ahead of you and yet to come. And, and you guys are sitting in like a really exciting spot. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. But uh, before we get into the Bible, does anybody know why I'm wearing black? <clears throat> Not the upperclassmen. Guys, yes, I'm mourning. Okay, I am in mourning. The Badger is lost. What are you saying? Here, here, here's the thing. You know, guys, here. It's a sad day. I mean, talk about unexpected. Illinois? Come on. But here, here's the thing. You know, one of the things that happened today, like I was walking down to watch like the, the class warfare. And I was excited. And I saw Jonathan, you know, the guy who sings over here. And he was across the volleyball courts. And I made eye contact when I was walking down. And he started smiling and like literally just walked all the way around the court to get to me and then walked up to me and he's smiling and he's like, did you hear what happened today? <laughs> and I, in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, like someone said yes to Jesus. It's all been worth it, right? Someone got saved. And I was like, no, dude, like what happened? And he was like, the Badger's lost. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then I'm walking out of here. I don't know who it was. I almost turned around. I walked out and right behind me, someone turned around, some guy in here and was like, Badger suck. <laughs> Guys, I'll say this. I'm a pastor. I'm not that godly yet. I can still throw down, okay? So. But unexpected, okay? We're, we're going we're gonna to continue this theme tonight, this unexpected, right? That we have this unexpected God. And guys, you know, for me, when, when I think about God, one of the things that I just can't get past is the way that, that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Right, that if you think about it, God could have revealed himself in, in so many, any possible way to us, but he chose one specific way to do it, that God reveals himself as father. All right, that it, and if we really understand this, like, I mean, we've been talking about this. On, on Thursday at Salt Company, we saw this unexpected father. We've been seeing this, like, the works of the father in his family that he invites us into, right? We, he adopts us. He's got this crazy love for us. He reveals himself as a father. And if we really understand the gospel, guys, when we think about God, we think about a father who has adopted us into his family. This is what we think about as Christians. Now, here's the problem with this, okay? We all, all of humanity, tend to project what we've experienced from our earthly dads on our heavenly dad, good and bad. And so for me, you know, when I think about my life growing up and my experience with my earthly dad, you know, one of the things that I grew up with was a saying that my dad always used to say to me. He would say this all the time, right? He would, he would look at me and he would be like, Rob, somewhere out there, 
there is someone who's doing more and working harder than you. And when you meet them face to face, they're going to beat you. And this is what he told me all the time, over and over. And I know some of you like manly sports dudes, you're like, heck yeah, work hard, go, kill. Kill, I don't know, kill. (laughs) You got like the Rocky soundtrack playing in the back of your, right? You think it's like a really cool thing. But here's the thing, guys. This was in the context of like training for athletics. And it was motivational and, and all that stuff. But what it did is it began to form in me a way that I saw myself. All right, that my identity and my worth was all about what I achieved and was rooted in how hard that I worked and like what I produced. Now, here's the incredibly sad part of this story. It comes in my senior year in high school when my dad killed himself. And, and I was left, just like a teenage kid, never hearing my dad say the words, you're good enough. And for the longest time, guys, this just messed with me. I never heard that from my dad. Instead, what I carried with me for the majority of my life, and honestly, even up onto this stage tonight, is this mindset that my identity and my value and my my worth, my future is all about what I do, how hard I work, like what I produce, the type of performance that I have. And so when it came to college for me, you know, and I was introduced to the gospel of Jesus, I was just really confused because, you know, any good Bible teacher is going to tell you, and they're going to say that it's not about you and what you've done, but it's all about what Jesus has done for you. And when I heard this, guys, it just didn't make sense to me. This was like a totally unexpected message. But this is the best message we could ever hear, right? I mean, amen? This is where we say, okay, we're going to practice this. Amen? amen? Right. I don't know. Yeah, we don't do that that much at Doxa, but... It's fun, okay? But guys, this is the best message in the world. Because we, we hear these things, that, that Jesus, he, he loves you, even if you do nothing. I heard this, and I just didn't get it. It didn't seem right. It, it went against everything that I have heard and learned. That the gospel was the most unexpected message that I ever heard. But this is the gospel, though. And when we talk about the gospel, guys, we're, we're talking about this, this beautiful story of redemption, the good news of Jesus, right? This, this gospel that God created all of humanity. He created all of us in his image, which means that we all have dignity and value, worth and purpose. And he created us to, to be in relationship with him. But we know that sin came into the world and, and broke everything. And in eternity past, God knew that we would sin. He knew that we would walk away from him. And so he devised the plan to save us from the effects of our sin. And the plan was that a sinless savior would come as the sinner's savior. This is Jesus. And at just the right moment, the Lord Jesus exited his throne in heaven and he entered into human history. He lived a perfect life that I couldn't live. He died a death that I should have died. And on the cross, he was crucified in my place. In the most significant moment in the history of the world, Jesus died for me as my substitute. Because he took on the sin and the punishment of that sin that I deserved so that I could receive salvation and eternal life that he alone secures because of his righteousness. And guys, here is what we all need to know and be reminded of today. The gospel that Salt Company is built on has very little to do with your works for Jesus, but has everything to do with Jesus' works for you. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's always about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I know some of you, you, you can't fathom that. You think that you're not good enough, that you gotta, you gotta do something more for God to love you. You gotta do something more for God to save you. But I want you to hear this, guys. Everything that Jesus did is everything that needs to be done. 
He said on the cross in his last victory breath, what? You remember? He said, it is finished. That the work of salvation, guys, is complete. That we don't add to it. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus a good life. It's not Jesus plus doing more and trying better and being better. It's nothing like that because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. And we just need to know that. It's all about Jesus. He is the one that saves. And honestly, guys, the only thing that we're to do is to trust in the one who's done everything for us. And the Bible calls that faith. And for me, maybe you can relate to this, guys. This was just a completely unexpected message because I was expecting God to say what my dad had said, work harder, like do more, keep moving forward. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, guys, a lot of you may be sitting in a similar place and we can all slip into this view of God at times. And in my years in ministry as a pastor, guys, I've, I've talked with hundreds of people and I've asked them like a similar question. It basically is this, is when you think about a life for God, like what does that look like? You're thinking of things, right? But here's what I find really interesting. When I ask people that question, many people respond to that question with, with an answer that has something to do with doing things for God. You know, people share like, you know, it's about reading the Bible, it's about praying, it's about loving one another, it's about loving people, it's sharing the gospel, it's living a good life. That many people, many of us, we, we think of a life for and with Jesus and make it all about doing things. But what if I told you guys that's not quite right? Close, but not quite right. What if I told you guys it's not just about doing, but a, a life for and with Jesus starts and is sustained by being? I want you to write this down, guys. Being is greater than doing. This is just a truth that we need to know. There's a massive difference between doing and being, and while God has called us to do both, one precedes the other and is way more significant. It's way more important in the sight of God. And see, when we don't get this, because it results in a, in a misunderstanding of what life for and with Jesus is all about. And here's what I mean, okay? Many people have this like kind of work and do mentality when it comes to their understanding of life with God. And we can call this religion. All right, religion is just like all about work. It's not necessarily all about Jesus. And so when I say religion, I'm not just talking about like organized religion like the church and we gotta hate the church or anything. But when I say religion, this is how I'm defining religion. Religion is just like confidence in the works of our flesh. This is what religion is. It's like all about me instead of all about Jesus. It's the confidence in the works that I can do for God. And so tonight, guys, what we're gonna do, it's gonna be a time for us all to kind of refocus. And maybe for some of you, it's gonna be a time for you to focus for the first time ever. And so with that, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. All right, this is where we're going to camp out tonight. And while you get there, I'll give you a little bit of context, okay? So prior to this section that we're going to get into, starting in, in Luke chapter 8, we're given six miracles of Jesus. All right, he calms a storm, he, he casts out a demon, he heals people, he brings a little girl back to life, he feeds 5,000 people, he's doing a, so many miraculous things. And as he's doing all of these miracles, the people around are watching this and they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking, who is this man? I mean, this is the question they're asking. Who is this man? And honestly, this is a question that people are still asking today. And it's ultimately a question that a lot of people are confused about. And so Jesus is, is traveling from place to place. He's doing these miraculous things. And then he comes to the house of two women that we're going to meet tonight, Martha and Mary. And it seems that Jesus is somewhat close friends with them as throughout the gospels he stays or visits with them, or I think right around four times at least. But upon his visit 
to their house is where we're going to pick up the story. So take a look. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. I want you to circle that. One thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken from her. This is where we're at tonight. And there's so much to learn about walking through life with God. This unexpected walk that we're created to walk with Jesus with. There is, in fact, one necessary thing that God wants for us above all. This one thing that is so important for us to grab hold of. And I want to uncover this by looking at these two women. So let's start with Martha. All right, what do we, what do we see about Martha? If you just look down, right? We see that she's, she's really busy, right? She's stressed out. She had a lot going on. I think it's fair to say she's overwhelmed, maybe even freaking out. But to understand why, we need to, we need to really know what she was thinking, right? And, and while we can't completely do this, I think we can come close. So what we need to do, guys, this is going to be harder for us, is we need to put ourselves in the mind of a woman back in these days, okay? So th- I can't even do that with my own wife, so this is going to be tough, right? But, but we do this. We got to understand that a woman in these days in Jewish society was judged upon and given honor and value based on how well they could manage their home, all right? That their value was given to them based on if they could throw a good party and entertain guests well. It was, it was all about what they did. It wasn't about who they were. It was a very religious outlook that was based on doing. And so since a woman's highest calling was to serve, Martha was just working hard. She was doing what she was supposed to do. And you notice that she starts complaining to Mary, complaining about Mary, right? She's in the midst of running around, doing all these things and working. And Mary, you notice, was just sitting with Jesus. And quite honestly, guys, her her complaint seems legit. I probably would have been doing the same thing. Because Martha was the, the matron of the house, which means she's in charge. And here comes Jesus, this really special and important man to her, who she wanted to serve and provide a good time for. And she's just working really, really hard for Jesus, And so she's preparing everything, and she's doing what society tells her that she needs to do. And in doing so, guys, look back here at our text. It says that she was distracted, right? Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I don't usually do this unless it actually makes sense. I'm going to teach you a couple Greek words, all right? And this is not to say like, oh, look how smart I am. It's like, no, I have some software on my computer, okay? So... But guys, the interesting part is, is when you read this passage in the original Greek, some of the words have like a significant amount of weight and meaning that the point that we're to take really, really comes alive, all right? And when this passage says that Martha was distracted, the Greek word is perispo, which literally means, it means pulled away or dragged away. So like literally this word, what it means when she was distracted, picture somebody kind of standing on this stage with me and I grab the back of their shirt and just pull them. It's this violent tearing away, this dragging away. So it's not like, oh, I was distracted, squirrel, right? No, it's like something major is happening and it's violently ripping her away from Jesus. And so all this busyness that Martha found herself in and preparing for Jesus, it literally pulled her away. It dragged her away from Jesus. Because that Martha was drug away by all the things in her life. And so we can think about the things that tend to drag us away from Jesus, I mean, there's obvious stuff like sin, 
But like, I mean, there's stuff like busyness, like your school, you're, you're striving for success. This could literally tear you away from Jesus. Family and friends, ministry, religion can certainly do this. And, and maybe this happens to you. Like if you, you've been in that place where you feel like you're just being kind of like pulled away. Maybe there's things in your life right now that are pulling you away from Jesus, guys. And what's interesting, guys, when we look at this and we consider this, these things don't even really have to be bad. They don't have to be sin. Because what is Martha doing? I mean, Martha is just, she's serving. She's doing good, yet she's pulled away from Jesus because she lost perspective on the one thing that is truly most important. And that's Jesus himself. And I think it's pretty obvious that, that sin and things that stand in opposition to God will pull us away from him. But how often do you consider the good things in your life? They can do the same thing. Like I, I've, I've experienced this in, in my life. I'll, I'll give you two examples, okay? The first is, is when I was dating my wife. And, and what happened is, is, I, is I took this gift of our relationship that God gave us and I elevated it to like a God in my life. Right, I elevated Lisa above God. That I was just like infatuated with her. I began to replace my desire for God for, with my desire for her. And instead of spending time with God, I just wanted to spend all of my time with her. And this began to like pull me away from Jesus. Some of you, you've experienced this. Some of you have friends and you watch it happen. Like it can happen. And it's not because like relationships or dating is bad. It's a gift. But when we get it in the wrong order and we elevate it to an unhealthy place, it will literally tear us away. The second example happened right after I became a Christian and I started serving in the church that I got saved at. You know, a little bit about me, guys. I'm a, I'm a worker. I love to be busy. I love to have my hands in, in a lot of things. And when I met Jesus, I just wanted to do so much for God. And I found myself literally being dragged away from him because of my busyness. I was, I was a lot like Martha in this passage. I was so busy that I lost sight of God and my relationship with Jesus suffered and became distanced. That in the midst, hear this guys, in the midst of doing ministry, this good thing, I got distracted from the one thing that actually propels ministry, Jesus. And busyness just dragged me away. I didn't spend time in my Bible anymore. I didn't spend time in prayer or community. I was just running around doing a bunch of stuff. Now, guys, here's, here's the reality, is there are a few things that are as damaging to our relationship with Jesus as trying to work for him without really taking time to have a relationship with him. And I think this reality is what led, at least in part, to what the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's going to come up here on the screen, but listen to this. This is what the author says. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because this applies to every single one of us, whether we consider ourselves Christians or not, that there are some of us here tonight, guys, that, that we feel distant from God. Maybe you're in this place, you, you don't really feel like stirred up, you're, you're feeling distant from God. Maybe you're even literally feeling dragged away, like this picture of Martha is like, is giving you words and you're like, yeah, that's kind of like me right now. And I'll ask you this, guys. What do you need to strip off that's keeping you from Jesus? And if, and if it's like, oh, nothing, like I'm doing fine. What you can do, guys, in the last worship set, there's a wall back there. You can go and smack your head off of it a few times and 
and wake up, right? Because we all have things in our life. We all have things in our life that will keep us from truly experiencing Jesus. And so this question of what is it that I need to strip off to experience that's keeping me from Jesus is a real one that we should ask. This is essentially, I think, what Jesus was saying to Martha, that her focus was off. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing for us today. What are you focused on? Ask that question. Are you focused on Jesus or something else? Because know this for sure, guys. Whatever you focus on, you drift towards. This is just true. Whatever you're focused on, you're going to naturally start to drift towards. This is Martha. Now, what about Mary? All right? Let me say this. All right? God has created us to be like Mary, but things have gotten messed up and, and we're just not. But I want to take a look at her. Mary was really just kind of the opposite of Martha. We see that she sat at Jesus' feet, right? She listened to Jesus. She chose what Jesus called the good portion, the one necessary thing. Mar or Mary was really doing like the proper thing for a disciple to do. That while Martha was like occupied with things, Mary was occupied with Jesus. Mary put off all the distractions and she refused to be pulled away and she sat at Jesus' feet. Again, the Greek word here is perikathesomai, which literally means to come close or to draw near. It's, it's literally this contrast, the exact opposite thing that was happening to Martha. Martha was being violently dragged away. Mary was coming close and drawing near to Jesus. And Jesus sees this and he acknowledges like, hey, she's got it. She's doing the, the one thing that's, that's right. And not only that, but it also says that Mary listened to Jesus. It's the word akuo. Now, here's the reason why I keep telling you these Greek words. All right, it's all so interesting and exceedingly meaningful when we realize that the verbs that the author uses in this this text to describe these women, they're in is what is called the imperfect tense, which really just signifies an incomplete action. All right, and so what this means is that Martha was not just distracted and pulled away from Jesus once, but hear this, guys, she was perpetually distracted and pulled away. Like to put it another way, she had like a lifestyle that pulled her away from Jesus. Some of us in this room, we, you have like unhealthy rhythms in, in ways that you go about life that just set you up to be pulled away from Jesus rather than drawing near. This is the stuff that we need to strip off. And Mary, she not only drew near to Jesus, but she listened. And because of this, this verb that he uses to write this, like she constantly drew near. She was constantly listening. We, we get this picture that she was almost like meditating on Jesus's words, that even when she wasn't with him, she was constantly drawing near and listening to Jesus. And so this was Mary. She was just going and constantly going close to Jesus while Martha was continually being dragged away and distracted. And Jesus goes on, if you look in verse 42, to share this awesome theological truth that Mary has chosen the one necessary thing. And what? I love this. It will never be taken from her. She chose Jesus. And guys, here's the truth. One of the things that we learn in this section by, by looking at Jesus' interaction with these women is this. Religion, this, this idea of confidence in the works of our flesh, religion is all about the work that we do. Grace is all about the work that Jesus has done. And your view of God and yourself and others will completely, you just need to understand this, will completely be shaped by how you see this and understand this. And by looking at these two women, we're seeing what religion and grace do. 
that religion, as seen in Martha, it distracts us from Jesus. It actually pulls us away from him. Grace, on the other hand, with which what we see, this undeserving love, this is what grace is. As we see throughout Mary, it draws us to Jesus, it transforms us through Jesus, and it keeps us with him. And so this is what we need to do, every single one of us. We need to unplug from religion so that we can engage with grace. Because religion, guys, will, will keep us from Jesus and his crazy love, just like it did Martha. And so what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time tonight looking at the difference between religion and grace, because here's the reality as I see it. Guys, religion, again, this, this confidence in the works of our flesh, this, this perseveration of the things that I do for God, my work, religion, guys, is just disgusting. And quite frankly, it's our enemy. Like religion, it killed Jesus. And it will kill us by leading us away in the opposite direction as him. And here's why. Number one, write this down. Religion says, if I obey God, then God will love me. All right, some of you, have, you've heard this. And some of you, you believe this. Some of us here, like, you think, like, if I stop sleeping around, like, if I stop drinking, if I, I stop smoking, if I stop cussing, if I stop doing this and that, and then I start doing something else, then then God will love me. You have this if-then understanding of God's love. And as we consider the Mary and Martha story, I see Martha, I think I can see like Martha struggling with this. And this is what caused her to work for Jesus so much. She, she had this thought, like this cultural thought that, that informed her view of God that said, if I work for Jesus, then I have more value in his eyes. And this is what happens if we listen to religion. We'll operate out of this false understanding that if I obey, then God will love me. But guys, this is not it, because here's what grace says. Grace says God does love you, period. You need to know that. Grace says that God has loved you in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, so much so that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, is that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Romans 5, 8. That the grace of the gospel of Jesus says God loves you. Guys, God loves you. He loves you. Let that sit. Religion says we have to do to get love. And this false gospel of religion is so subtle and so disgusting and it sneaks in and just confuses people. All right, to put it in a context that make it more real, like this would be the equivalent of me going home tomorrow night and sitting at the dinner table with my kids and pulling out like a paper with a list of things on it. And, and kind of sliding it in front of Lily and Titus and saying like, hey guys, here's the deal. If you do these things and you do them well, I'm gonna be your daddy and I'm gonna love you. But if you don't, I'm not gonna be your daddy and I'm not gonna love you. Because if you were sitting at that dinner table, like hopefully you would throw something at me, right? And just be like, you are a terrible dad, right? This is what religion does. And believing like that pulls us away from Jesus, just like Martha, that God is a good father who looks at his kids and he just says, I love you. Even apart from what you do, and because he loves us, we can love him and our affections lead to our actions of obedience and working towards it. There's a big difference, totally different than religion. We need to unplug from that junk. The second thing religion says is this. Religion says that the world is filled with two types of people. Good people and bad people. 
right? And if you ask like a really religious person how do they know who the good people are, the chances are they're gonna say, well, they're kind of like me. Like that's who the good people are. Religion says like everyone who isn't like me is bad. Here's what grace says. Grace says there are two kinds of people, but these two types of people are repentant and unrepentant because all people are bad. Romans 3.23, that if the world was, an, you remember, anybody watch any like old Western movies? I'm like the only one. You do? Congrats, man. That's good. But guys, if the world was like a, an old Western movie, we would all have black hats and trench coats on and Jesus would be the only dude riding around on a white horse with a white hat. That God doesn't look down on the world and see good people and bad people. He looks down and he sees bad people in the Lord Jesus. That's it. And religious people, they don't get this. In fact, religious people are the ones that, that killed Jesus. And this should clue us in that there's something wrong with religion. That Jesus, you watch his life and he goes to the most jacked up people and he hangs out with them. He goes to the sexually immoral. He goes to the prostitutes. He goes to the alcoholics and the thieves. And he says, hey, you guys have got some problems. You're a sinner and you're really bad. And they look at him and they're like, totally. Can you like help us with that? You want to come over for dinner and we can talk? Like we, we really need some help. But then Jesus goes to those religious people and he says the same thing. And do you know what they say? See this in the gospels. They look at him and say, you have a demon. You broke our rules, you hang out with terrible people, and now we're going to kill you. Guys, this is religion. Religion says that there are good people and bad people. Grace says that there are bad people who repent and turn to Jesus in faith, and bad people who don't repent. That's the only difference. Guys, we're all in the same playing field. We all need Jesus. The third thing religion says is this. Religion says it's all about your birth. Grace says it's all about your new birth. Religion says, like, did you grow up in church? Are your parents Christians, right? Did you go to Awana, right? Do you, do you know Romans Road? Did, do you, did you win the Bible trivia quiz bowl, right? Do you know like the hand signals to this little light of mine, right? Do you, do you know that? And I'll say this, guys, being born into a Christian home and having a Christian mom and dad and Christian grandparents <clears throat> who love Jesus, that's an awesome thing. And it's not a problem if you love Jesus, because if you don't love Jesus, it doesn't matter what kind of family you were born into because it's no benefit to you and your standing with God. See, religion cares about your birth. Grace cares about your new birth. We see this in John chapter three, the, the religious ruler and leader that comes to, to Jesus, Nicodemus, right? And he's talking to Jesus and, and asking the truths of life. And, and what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? He says, you need to be born again. He says, God needs to be your father. You need a new life, you need a new start, you need a new birth, you need to be born again. That's the issue. Guys, you can't say I come from a Christian family. It's all about Jesus. And then finally, religion says it's all about you do, what you do. Grace says it's all about what's been done for you. Guys, the last thing that Jesus says before he dies was this, it's finished. That there's nothing more for you to do to come to God. The only thing for you, guys, listen to this. The only thing for you to do to come to God and his family is to put your faith in Jesus. That's it. And, and maybe this is like totally unexpected, right? I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, that's all we do. Guys, it's not about what you do or what you've done. It's, it's about what God's done for you in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
Religion says you're guaranteed heaven through good works and what you do and being a good person. And the reality is, yes, you are saved by good works. They're just not your good works. It's all about Jesus. This is the one thing that truly matters in life. This is what Mary knew, and this is what led her to sit at the feet of Jesus, her Savior. Guys, it's not about religion. It's all about grace. Religion will cause you to miss Jesus. I love that the Bible is so honest to show how the Apostle Paul thought about this. And in Philippians chapter three, look at this. It's gonna come up here on the screen. The Apostle Paul says this after he talks about, at length, about how religious he once was. This is what Paul says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There we go. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage. Literally, that word is, is dung. Like it's this explicit word. I'm not going to say it because it's not my salt company, but you get it, right? It's dung so that I could gain Christ. Paul says, my whole life, all the religion, all the rules, he says, once I met Jesus, it was just a steaming pile. That's what he says. And so practically, guess here's what you can do to remind yourself of this. Next time you're like walking to class, you're walking through a park, you're walking outside your your apartment complex and there's a little strip of, of grass and you look down and someone's dog left like a nice steaming pile there. Rather than just like making sure you don't step on it and like walking away real quick, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk up to it and just kind of stop for a minute. Maybe even bend down. Just take a look. Smell it maybe a little bit. And guys, what I want you to do in that moment and just look at it and just be like, ah, there lies religion. Seriously, this is what Paul is saying. He said it's nothing more than a pile. And we can laugh, but guys, religious people, they argue over their pile, right? They'll be like, well, my pile's bigger than yours. Mine's stack night. Like, it's not a good thing, right? It's still a pile. Guys, we, we need to unplug from religion to engage with grace because you can't have both. And so what do we do? Where do we find grace? Guys, Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And so I want to end tonight with the time for, for us all to just focus. Right? That if we can cut through all the clutter and the sin and the religion and we can see Jesus, guys, this will change everything. And for those of you who are Christians, here's what I'd say to you. Guys, don't let religion, this confidence in the works of your flesh, sneak in. Like, keep your heart stirred with affection for the gospel of Jesus and realizing and remembering that he's done everything for you. And let that well up in great joy, in love, in appreciation, in a way that makes you want to draw towards him and love him and then go on mission for him. Be. Be. And for those of you who you're not following Jesus and you've been listening to me talk and you've been hearing this gospel. Because my question is, is like, what are you waiting for? Like Jesus is standing there. And he's presented himself to be God. And on the cross, 
where he was nailed and he died for your sin with his arms spread. Guys, this is an invitation for you to run to the Father. And he's there. And he just wants to wrap his arms around you and forgive you and give you a new future of hope. And so the invitation for you is just to come to Jesus. And it's not about having like this huge emotional experience. And, you know, some people say that. They're like, I just got totally overwhelmed with joy and conviction. And and I came to Jesus and I cried for like four days. Some of you have that story. Others of us, like, you just get confronted with the facts. And you look at your life and you say, yeah, there is something in my way that's keeping me from God. I'm not with him now. I need somebody to take that. And Jesus is the answer. And you say yes and you put your faith in Jesus. And you start following him and let him change your heart and change your mind and emotion and affection will come as you realize more and more what he's done. Guys, this is the invitation. It's to come to Jesus. Guys, this is the one thing that matters above all else in life. The most important thing about your life is if you know Jesus or not. And when it comes to this, guys, I'm gonna pray and give you a chance just to sit there when it comes to this, guys, there's, there's two options. You receive him or reject him. You receive him and you get all those gospel benefits that we read in Ephesians chapter one, or we reject him and we walk out of here and say, you know what, those church people are crazy. They have a fun time. That dance was epic, but that's weird. And you walk away unaffected, unchanged, unsaved, and unsure about your eternity. Those are really the two options that we have tonight, receive or reject. And so guys, here's what I'm gonna have you do. Open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna have the band come up. And guys, I'm gonna give you some time to just sit in Ephesians chapter one. The band's gonna lead us in song and we're gonna worship tonight and thank God for what he's done through the the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But here's why I have you turn to Ephesians chapter one. We're just gonna keep the lights on here for a minute. And for the next few minutes, guys, I, I just want you to read it. And if you're a Christian tonight, I want you to read it, and as you're reading it, just thank God. Just thank God that all of that stuff in Ephesians one is yours. Like, it's true. Like, it's crazy. And just thank him. And let this place just erupt in worship as we stand and sing. And if, it's, if you're not like following Jesus, you just read that. And I want you just to read it and just be honest and look at that. And you can't say, man, I don't want this. And just know that the offer, all you do is just come to Jesus. And all of that instantly is yours. Instantly. It's the best news. It's the gospel news, guys. So I'm going to pray for you and then leave you in Ephesians chapter 1. And then we're going to worship together. God, thanks for tonight. Thanks for, man, making a way as I think about Ephesians chapter one with all the blessings, Jesus, that you give us. I'm thankful. And God, I just say thank you that I'm not deserving, but you looked at me and said I'm worth it because you love me. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would light up Ephesians 1 right now that you've inspired to be written and that you would show us something of yourself. Remind us of the great blessing of being your kid. Compel us, move us 
to follow you. God, I pray for those that don't know you. God, this would be the night. This would be the night that everything changed. This would be the night that we cross from death to life. And we find this Jesus that loves us. So God, do your thing. Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us. And help us to be humble and just hear from you right now.